Danny, I feel like you might be able to relate to this because you said you're you're kind of a starter person, right? I did you, say that, yeah. yeah, you did say that. Um, I right now I'm like kind of you know just going through all my stuff and trying to get rid of things I don't use anymore. But I'm at the point now where just everything is like all over my room, and it feels like I just made something a lot worse. Mm. Even though I think ultimately I'm doing doing something that will be helpful yeah but right now it just looks like mass destruction in yeah. my room um not that that's how you feel about <laughs> well, right? yeah. <laughs> you're like yeah i don't know <laughs> uh that's interesting i i am a starter also i'm not nostalgic so when you said there's like if i was going through stuff i would actually just throw everything away i'm so not nostalgic that's amazing it gets me in trouble because i throw away things that should not be thrown away. <laughs> my kids don't like it my wife doesn't like it um <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, nostal- sometimes I'm nostalgic. Mine is more like, what if one day in seven years, I'll be like, where's this sweater? You'll never do it. I know, <laughs> I know. But that's what I do. That's what I do in my head. Yeah. I have um, like a, a once like yearly, just like I purge, the, I throw away shirts. And I have been like, oh man, I wish I still had that shirt. And I'm, but I was like, but then I don't because I actually never wore it when I had it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, moving, I hate so much because oh, yeah. of back it's like i watch these things get put into boxes and i'm like oh i forgot we have that but we just collect so much crap which isn't necessarily what you're talking about but that's where like when you started talking about (laughs) danny's like we collect so much crap let's just go into that this Um, is actually this is a hoarding episode yeah it's an intervention for annie (laughs) (laughs) um but all that to say i think that oftentimes we can like start things and then we're in the middle of it and we're like oh crap yeah. And so today we want to talk about the cost of deconstruction because in a lot of sense, it's a really costly experience in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But one thing is, so Jesus talks about counting, counting costs. Right. And when he talks about it, it's in Luke 14, he says, who is like, who builds a building and then doesn't count the cost beforehand and halfway through he's like, cool, my building, I guess is done. Yeah. It's like every episode of Fixer Upper when they call them and they're like, we ran out of money. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, that's crazy. That happens every time. Yeah, you guys but, um, at some point need to get better at this. <laughs> it's fine, everyone. Hey, we all make mistakes, but this is just a staple of your show now. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to just roast Chip and Joanna Gaines yeah. on this podcast. No, this is be okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was pretty scathing of me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but all that to say... That's when Jesus talks about following him, he, he says, like, you have to count the cost and you have to see the cost all the way through. And as I was reading that, he talks about building a building. And when I think about deconstruction, I think of that as a cost of, like, demolishing the building. Because in a sense, like, that's what I'm doing right now with, like, all my belongings, right? Like, I'm just, like, just throwing everything out and trying to figure it out. But now it's just a huge mess. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like that is similar to deconstruction. Like, I I remember writing a poem one time about how, like, I feel like I wake up in the middle of rubble mm-hmm. because I, like, I've deconstructed, I've demolished so many things, and I hadn't really counted the cost, I guess, yeah. for, like, what it would take not only to demolish everything and to deal with that and deal with repercussions and then rebuild. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think like you saying that isn't a deterrent for why someone shouldn't. But I hear people all the time say like deconstruction is the easy way out. It's like, and yeah, it's just so not true. And I think even to like connect it like where you were going with the cost of discipleship. Mm. I do think that there's like the reason that there's a cost equated with it is because it's something that is a part of our discipleship process. It's not like part, they're not disconnected. I think they are connected. Mm. And so, yeah, I think it's maybe the most faithful thing we can do in some ways. Like, especially if we see things that are unhelpful. Like I, my newsfeed is filled up with uh, articles about like, like church leader failures Mm. and um, people that are, I mean, like I was told this and now I'm like, why should I believe this anymore? And there are people that are just wrestling with their own levels of deconstruction. And like when someone says, well, that's just the easy thing to do. It's like there's nothing actually easy about that process because there's loss and mourning and wading through all the crap. Like it's a hard process. And that's what like I feel like sometimes when people see deconstruction, they say like, well, you just took out all the parts you didn't like or like you just made this so much more convenient. Yeah. And not that I think this is the best line of thinking, but oftentimes churches will use the idea of something being costly to validate it. So they'll say, like, well, why would Jesus' disciples die for a lie? Like, if there was so much cost to it, it must be true. Mm-hmm. And part of me is like, well, then, yep, deconstruction must also be true then. Because, man, this is costly. Yeah. There, it, like, for so many people, it costs, like, relationships. It costs a level of certainty. I mean, man, I miss, like, it's, it's, there's a lot of grief that goes with yeah. deconstruction. And that is not, it isn't the easy way out. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you have, like, your power rankings of, like, favorite comedians and stand-up specials and stuff. So if you're, like, power ranking, like, the things that it's cost <laughs> you the most, like, mm. what, like, what have you had to, what have you given up? What are you mourning? Like, what has it costed you to go through this? Because I would say, from my perspective, like, outside looking in, it seems as if this is like a true act of discipleship where you're actually, you're drawing closer to Jesus through this, but I can tell it's also not come without a cost. And so like, what have been Mm. some of the big things you've had to wrestle with going through this? Yeah. And that was just to back what you said about like, this is a discipleship thing is I may have said this in a previous episode. Again, I love that we say that every time, but, um, (laughs) but um, (laughs) my, I was telling my therapist one time, I was like, I'm just doubting so much. And she was like, Emily, this to me looks nothing like doubt and a whole lot like seeking God. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, thank you. Like, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, thank you. That means so much to me. But like yeah. all that to say, if I had to rank the cost, it, I feel like it changes a lot on what feels more mm, like poignant to me. Uh-huh. But I would say probably the biggest cost has been um the like letting go of theological certainty and very black and white thinking like i used to say i could answer most questions you had like theologically for me yeah. and that's probably true i could give you some form of answer yeah not like oh i know everything in the world but like i could give you the answer of what i grew up in yeah you could give enough of a response to like give an answer to that person on most topics to give an answer and to settle maybe any like i'm not sure yeah um all that to say that was a huge thing to lose because i i mean we you and i were talking and i was like danny what is finished when jesus says it is finished yeah and i hated that i had to ask that Mm -hmm. i hated that because 
I used to be like, oh, yeah, I learned that in kindergarten. Yeah. And now I'm reprocessing all of it. Like, that is, to have a bunch of answers, to having very few answers, I mean, sucks. Yeah. Well, so you've surrendered certainty. uh, Yeah. Which I think, uh, I know I said this, and this is like I'm patting myself on the back. But I do like the idea of, like, surrendering this thing, too. Like, that's a part Mm. of discipleship is, like, Jesus is like, you need to surrender these things over to me. Yeah. I think you there has been, like, an act of surrendering in this. So as you go through that, though, and, like, you're surrendering certainty, how do you navigate those questions of, I used to have an answer, it made it clean and easy, and I knew what I believed. So now you're in this grayer space without the, maybe, I don't know, have you given up the need for answers? Are you still searching for them? Like, it's not like your processes of finding truth and engaging with your faith have, like, radically changed overnight. So how are you engaging that? Oh, I think I'm... I'm engaging my need for certainty in a sense that like I'm, it hasn't gone away, but I'm trying to be curious about why I need that and been Mm. trying to like, like, what is at the root of my need for certainty? It's a need to like understand what's going on and to have some structure. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't want to feel like I'm just like, ah, everything's crazy. It feels like, so I used to have a friend. I mean, she's still my friend. Okay, um, in, <laughs> in college, we would have the- Theology Thursdays. I was a yeah. nerd. Um, <laughs> and Ragers. <laughs> wow. Um, and then we would have a Google Doc where we would just put topics we thought about that week that we wanted to process with each other. This is like the highlight of my week. Yeah. But, um, and we had different highlights. I'm doing Thirsty Thursdays and you're doing <laughs> Theology Thursdays. I like that. <laughs> and we would, um, so we would highlight it a color if we were like, we feel like we've talked this through and we've processed it. It would be like green. We'd highlight okay. it yellow if we were like, eh, maybe process it more, but like we feel like we're okay. Mm-hmm. Red if we were like, we need other people to speak into this because we're really confused. Purple was, I think we know all that we know on this side of eternity. And now I feel, and I feel like in my deconstruction, everything became purple. Mm. Innocent, well, eh. It actually felt like everything became red. Like, I was like, SOS, I don't know anything. I need yeah. outside help. And it's starting to become purple in a way that I'm accepting, in a sense that I'm starting to be like, I might not know the answer to this, but mm. I'm willing to explore this. I feel like I'm going all over the place. Sorry. No, um, I heard this quote from Richard Rohr the other day, and he said, God being mysterious does not mean he is unknowable. It means he is infinitely knowable. Mm. Yeah. I mean, holy crap, man. Yeah. What a game changer. Yeah. That's re- that is really good. And I, th- I remember when I went up, like, so to get ordained in mm. the Methodist church, you have to, like, write just a stupid amount of pages and things. And you do these oral interviews where they you sit in front of a board of people. And I remember they asked me about, uh, this was my first round, about the Trinity. And I, like, I gave what I thought was a really eloquent answer. And they were like, you know what you should do from now on is talk more about the mystery of it because Mm -hmm. that's what makes it compelling. Like, trying to make the Trinity certain takes away what makes it compelling. And I think that's, like, what makes God compelling is God is found in the mystery. And I think we shrink God when we try to find God in the certainty. Yeah. And I think, like, I mean, yeah, Flannery O'Connor says a God that you would fully understand a God you could fully understand would be less than yourself. Mm-hmm. And so if I, if we served a God that was fully knowable, then it's not really one that I feel like is worth worshiping or yeah. worth following. 
Yeah. So I wonder why, like, let's go back to like Emily 2K17 and you're like, what did you find compelling about that? Because I'm with you, actually. I think that's like if I knew God completely and I was like, man, I can put God in the box of all of these things, like, and, and God is fully knowable and all that. Like, why was that compelling then for you? It made me feel less powerless. Hmm. Like, and this is why. Okay, I'm gonna try. I'm trying to keep talking about me and not just go on this like, bleh. but um, it made me feel like I had some control and some ability to. I've always been someone that can that like if I didn't understand something, I just worked my butt off until I understood it. Mm-hmm. And then I would feel like I could set that aside. You marked it green. Yes. <laughs> I marked it green. Yeah. And I wish everything was green. Mm-hmm. I said, nailed it. Okay. And so to have a very like clear systematic theology was to say everything can be green. Yeah. And I don't have to like. And here's the thing. The only way everything can be green this is an extreme statement, but I'm going to go with it. Yeah. The only way everything can be green is if you completely detach from the truth. Hmm. To say, I do not struggle with any of this because it doesn't matter my reaction. Yeah. So that, in a sense, is compelling that it doesn't matter what I think. Right. And I just get something that's sure and true and black and white. And I have answers to the big questions. I'm a very, I think about big questions all the time. And so to say, I can think about it and be like, oh, but Emily, you know the answer. Right. It's so much easier. It's tangible. Mm. Yeah, I remember. So systematic theology was one of my least favorite classes in seminary. Uh And not because it was the hardest, but I was like, it just seemed like we shrunk God in the process of creating theology. And I was like, man, like it can't be this easy. Like I liked the the difficulty, the wrestling, the mystery. Mm. And systematic theology was always, always something that like, never landed well with me i didn't dig it yeah and the other thing though is like i if i have all the answers then i know that i can be theologically respected yeah she's a really big deal to me yeah i want people to think very highly of my like theology right and not to tell your story but that's because you're also trying to like claim and earn and like validate your seat at the table right you've always wanted absolutely um and i think this question's connected this has popped in my mind as we're talking because i don't think i've ever asked you this and if i have i'm so sorry that i forgot (laughs) but what was what started your deconstruction process like do you know like what was the the moment the day the conversation like when you were like man like what was the first straw the jenga piece to get pulled out i know we used that analogy before It's kind of a funny answer. Okay. Um, I was raised Presbyterian, and I was dating someone who was non-denominational. Mm-hmm. And Sinner. <laughs> and people in my denomination were like, Emily, like, are you kidding? Yeah. Does he completely affirm the Westminster Confession of Faith? And I was like, I, I don't care. I yeah. really don't care. And so, honestly, to start going to his church... And to start, I had to start by deconstructing Presbyterianism. Mm-hmm. 
and to say, oh, other people think differently about baptism and worship and all of these things and salvation and yeah. predestination, all of those things, just to be able to see the other side and to say, man, I actually get how you got there. Mm, yeah. When I saw that, when I saw that people could see the Bible, see the same book I was reading and come to massive, not massively, different conclusions. Sometimes well, then, massively different conclusions. Sometimes massively. What what am I left with? I thought there was one way to read the Bible and that I had it right. And so when I saw that, okay, people are getting to different ways and still connecting to God, it was this freeing of, okay, I'm allowed to connect to God to through a different way than Presbyterianism. And also... Maybe I don't have it all right. Yeah. And that, that plus some like processing through again, my own like anxieties around dating and thinking about like what the church told me about that. Yeah. And then like listening to resources of people like kind of deconstructing Christian dating and seeing like, oh, well, does it have to be this like anxious and this intense? And, that was like a big deal to me. Mm. So it's kind of a weird answer, but yeah, no, I think that, I think it's not a weird answer. I was just talking to another pastor about this and he was telling me about the church he works at and he, we were talking about echo chambers and he's mm-hmm. saying their church has really, really far left people and really, really far right people. And they just assume that's the whole church because mm-hmm. those are the only people they talk to in the church. Man. And I think I was thinking about that as it related to your experience within the Presbyterian church. It's, like, you don't know what you don't know. And I think there's a little bit of – and hear me out saying this is not a call out to the Presbyterian church because uh, it's I think, connects with every church denomination. But I think one of our mechanisms for growth is to keep people in the club, in the echo chamber, to be like, we're actually the only one and we know it all. And that's why there's – we talked about this in the last episode. Like, when people are, like, concerned about your salvation and going to hell, like – Really, they're in some ways concerned more about you leaving the collective and going outside mm-hmm. the echo chamber and what might happen if someone else speaks into that, because then your mind might expand and you might be like, oh, man, we we can baptize infants or, oh, man, we can get baptized as adults. Right. Like, yeah. that, like any of those things that people are so divided on. But it just it's really interesting for me to hear you say that, like talking about growing up in the Presbyterian church and having no context for that, because I mm-hmm. felt like I grew up in my experience of the church was like the wild west. It's like, I could go to one place and it's like, we got people like dunking people and then other places they're <laughs> baptizing babies and like other places they are trying to aggressively pray over you to receive the gift of tongues. And it's like all of these things. And so I like my only real experience with the church was much more loose in that mm-hmm. where you had a much more predefined, like this is the box. This is the package. This is the most, right version of this thing we're the ones that take the bible seriously yeah yeah i heard i just heard this quote today that was like what does he know about england whom only england knows or something like that i'm basically saying like if you've only ever been to one place then i don't actually know anything about this place because i have nothing to compare it to yeah kind of interesting yeah um but like okay so certainty and having that having that one like canned answer that I had at at ready to go, like I had to grieve that and I'm still grieving that because I miss the comfort of that. But another part of that is when my 
I don't have that canned answer anymore. Community looks different. So there are people, I think another huge cost is it costs, I'm not going to say it costs people, though sometimes that's true. It costs how people relate to you. Yeah. If I, I know that I could give the perfect like canned answer that they want. And I know how they'll relate to me if I give that answer. Yeah. So it's new territory to say, actually, I'm thinking something different. I have no idea how you're going to respond to me now. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's scary, right? Especially if, like, you're used to knowing, like, this is what I say, this is what I get back. Like, this is what I get, mm. this is what I get. Um, yeah, it's the unknown. It's scary. What, uh, this is interesting, like, what would it have cost you, though, not to deconstruct? Like, Think now like you haven't, like you're 15 years down the road and you didn't engage in this process because maybe you dipped a toe and someone's like, hey, don't do that. Like that's leading you down a path to hell that you're, you're in the, you're like, you're in the culty thing, right? You've, you've cut out the group of people and you're just in this thing. And so you come back, what would it have cost you? Do you think, and this is hypothetical and so you're being speculative, but what would it have cost you to not? Honestly, it would have cost me the God I know now. I I feel like I talked about my therapist a lot on this podcast, but oh well, we talk about my deconstruction a lot. <laughs> but um, I told her, I was like, this is when I really started my deconstruction. And I was like, I feel like God just thinks I'm disgusting and doesn't love me and like, or like loves me, but just in like a tolerating way, like in like a, guess I have to deal with this one. Like, and I, and I was tearfully saying to her, I was like, oh, I was like, I don't really feel like I love God right now. Mm -hmm. And she looks at me and she goes, I would not love that God either. Yeah. And it, I can't imagine not knowing the God that I know now that is one that deeply loves things about me and values me and not only says like, you're welcome at the table, even though you're super annoying. Like it says like, you are we're so excited that you're at the table. Mm. And one that welcomes my input, not in a sense of like, how should I run the world today, Emily? But in a sense that like, my voice matters in the dialogue with God. Yeah. Hmm. Like in the Psalms, I guess I used to think of it as like a an echo chamber that we're just talking to ourselves of like, this really sucks, dude. Yeah. But now to see like, I really believe in a God that enters into this space with me and says, like, let's wrestle together. And that that is to serve a God that really welcomes that. Yeah. No, that's good. And, I mean, it would have cost me a lot of where I am now. I wouldn't I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know a lot of my, like, friends from the well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I think obviously, like it's a hypothetical, but it's, yeah, it's. I think we can easily talk about what we're giving up to do this, and mm. I think it's an interesting question to ponder for anyone who's going through this, and like, what what would my life look like? What would it have cost me? Because, like, from my perspective, I'd be like, well, it would cost you the ability to like have your voice and being able to share your story yeah. and help other people. Like, I remember I got an email about someone being like, hearing Emily preach, like I never heard the gospel story articulated that way, and like they engage their faith in a way. They would have never. And so not only, like, you not engaging in this would have cost you that space, but, like, it could have theoretically cost someone else the ability to hear that story. And so I think it's a valuable question to 
ask yourself as you continue to go down this, but anyone else, like, what would it cost me to not take the step out of the boat, right? What would it cost me to not engage? That's a that's a phenomenal question. Yeah. And I think the thing about cost, too, is we're not, it's not, if I think about cost in general, you're not just throwing away money for nothing. Yeah. You, I sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you give up a cost because something feels worth that, like, yeah, the, transaction. I don't like that word choice, but that's what it's coming to mind. Yeah, mind. like the thing you were purchasing has enough value for you to be like the money that I've acquired. I feel yeah. like I want to give something up for this thing. And I really believe that the that the relationship that I have with God now, and my view of God now, and view of self now, even though still I'm definitely still in the midst of this process. Like I'm not going to be like, and I came through it, and I'm killing it. Like yeah. I'm still I'm still in it. It isn't as heavy as it used to be. But even still, like, the way that I can relate now, mm, mm, another thing <laughs> that it would have cost me to not deconstruct is I wouldn't have been able to hear other points of view. Yeah. In a sense that, like, I went to Mizzou and everyone was like, secular university? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good luck on your road to hell, Emily. I know. Um <laughs> And I'm sure some people would attribute my deconstruction to going to a secular university. Um, But because I was able to deconstruct, I was able to find so much value and beauty in what, like, my professors and people who were different than me were saying. Whereas when I entered into Mizzou, I was like, this is my, this is my war zone (laughs) for the gospel. Yeah. I just have, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm being, that's, I'm being honest. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. And to be able to learn is a beautiful gift. Yeah, I think about like having three young kids. I think about sending them off to college someday. And I went to like small Christian college, and uh, I tell like I used to say this when I was a youth pastor too. I'd be like, when my students would be like, "Hey, I'm getting ready to go to college. Where should I go?" I'd be like, "You should go to a state school because you're going like if you're looking at a Christian college or a state school, like you're going to be able like it's not a battle zone, but you're going to be able to more define what you believe because at some point you have to enter into the real world." And I think that's Absolutely. what that afforded you is this opportunity to like be in the real world and not just like, cause that's why we send people to like Christian colleges, why people go from like Presbyterian schools to the Presbyterian college, then they're back in their church. Right. Like, and again, I'm not taking a dump on the Presbyterians here, but it's, it's, you're just using my story as an yeah, example. Like the reason people do that, a lot of your friends, it's like, or they're persuaded that cause you're like, you're just floating through the echo chamber and you never have to wrestle with any other competing beliefs and i think mm. that costs you a lot like in personal growth i never thought about this but like i i was planning on going to the presbyterian college i know big shocker yeah um i looked at two different christian colleges both times i we drove onto the parking lot and it i had a bodily reaction that i was not supposed to be there and like that was Looking back, like, that was probably the spirit, like, really leading me. Like, yeah, I thought that Covenant College was, like, my dream school. Yeah. And as soon – no beef to Covenant College, but the minute I, I drove up there, I was like, I do not want to be on top of a mountain with a bunch of people I agree with. It was, yeah. like, that – it was so vivid and so easy for me to decide that. Hmm. And say I also looked at Dork College. Never heard of it. In Iowa. Okay. It sounds like Dork College. Yeah. Um, but um, – and same thing. Same situation. Um, and the minute I walked onto Mizzou, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. I think it's good. 
I was thinking about this when you said something earlier. I think that we should, in the credits of the podcast, give a shout out to your therapist because I feel like that's like <laughs> your storyboarding session. Like, yep. you storyboard our episodes with your therapist. <laughs> uh, how much is that like? So I think back to like therapy for you. Like, how much is yeah. therapy? Because that's one thing. Like, growing up in the church, I was told like, don't go to therapy. Like, mm. your emotions might like lead you down like a different path how much has therapy actually helped you and it, it, is it christian therapy or is it just like therapy she is a christian therapist okay. and that has been so good for me because one i need someone she's seminary educated and i need someone who can go theological with me when i need to because mm-hmm. i'll be like she'll be like why don't you feel like you can feel this way i'll be like blah, 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 blah. and i just like go off on this theological rant yeah and she can follow that which i really appreciate but also, she has been – I remember the first time I, I told her I was so nervous because she went to a Presbyterian seminary. And I was like, I feel like total depravity, like that doctrine kind of messed me up. And I'm not feeling great about it. And she was like, well, yeah, I don't really feel like that's in the Bible. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I was like, okay, we're still okay. Yeah. It was a hard dynamic because I was scared to, like, be honest with her about my deconstruction at first. But she has really met me in that in a way that has been so affirming that that is still a part of my Christian walk. Mm. And shout out to Alyssa. She just – she never responds to me in fear. Mm. And that is why I think her voice in my deconstruction has been so valuable is because another cost of deconstruction is people being so freaking scared for you. Yeah. Which kind of goes back to what we said about hell in our last episode. But like – she just meets me with genuine curiosity and interest in what I'm thinking and feeling and not being like, well, Emily's going to hell. Yeah. No, I think that's good. And like, again, it goes back to the curiosity thing. Like there's more curiosity than there is certainty. Um, so this is completely off topic, but when given the opportunity to share a story that I think is really Love interesting, it. can I just share a story that is personal has nothing to do with our topic? Okay. Um, and I may have actually told you this before, but. Is that I, your therapist? Yeah, I'm going to tell you about my therapist. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so I went to therapy, like after, uh, after my divorce, like changing, like all these things. And my therapist, I was like pretty interested. I was like, this guy is like PhD. He's like head of his field. Um, he was really, really like compelling on paper. And, uh, my first time I got in there, it was, it was fine. Uh, but I remember him early on being like, I want you to think of this journey. Like I'm Sacagawea and you're Lewis and Clark, and I'm going to take you through this forest of your emotions. And I was like, well, that's pretty weird, but I'm going to go with you. <laughs> and then later on, he's talking to me. He's like, hey, like, my goal here is to make you cry. And I was like, I think we have different goals for therapy. <laughs> uh, but later on, I don't think I've actually told you this part if I've told you. like, So he was also like, he went to seminary to be a priest and decided that he he's like, a religion's false. I don't want to go anymore. And then when he found out, because I, I didn't lead with him a pastor, I usually don't lead with that in many spaces. And uh-huh. so he found that. And then I became his therapist for like two sessions. Like all we talked about was his religious trauma. And I'm like, I'm paying you a lot of money <laughs> to talk about this. But so he was, he would always sit like I was sitting and he would do this with his foot. Uh-huh. And he, I guess, noticed I was staring at it one time. And he's like, well, just need you to know that I have this really debilitating pain. I take like 16 Vicodin a day. And I'm like, I'm not a doctor, but that's a lot of Vicodin. <laughs> and I'm like, it's odd for you to tell me this. And... Ended up getting surgery, got a pain pump in, and his pain pump, he, like, told me how awesome it was. He's like, well, I'm not taking any Vicodin anymore. My sex drive is through the roof. (laughs) 
And this guy's like in his late seventies, which is like, but all of it is weird, right? Uh-huh. But when he came back, he also forgot who I was. Like he came in and we did like a re intake. He's like, oh, I don't remember any of that. I was like, that's really weird. But the kicker, when we were, uh, I came in one day and he was sitting about you to me, and he has this switchblade in his hand and he's just flicking <laughs> it back and forth, back and forth. And, like, telling me the story about, like, living in Chicago and, like, people, like, pulling knives on him. He's like, does this make you nervous? I'm like, yeah, it makes me nervous. And so I'm, like, on the corner of my chair, like, leaning back. I'm terrified, like, counting the seconds on the clock, like, ready to get out. And I leave. And, like, it was, like, I'm like, it can't get weirder than that. Uh And, like, I'm going back one more time. And this was the last time I ever went back is he was sitting in his chair and he tells me about he has a gun in his, like, briefcase next to me. And he's like, I just need you to know I'm carrying a gun. And I was like, well, like, I don't know why you need me to know that. And like, <laughs> can I call my wife to tell her that this is the last time I'm ever going to see? It was like one of the weirdest moments. And I've never gone back to that guy. Yeah. And I say that all. Like, I haven't found a new therapist because I have so much trauma about like having yeah. this guy. And I probably should have reported him. Um, oh, actually, this is the I never, I ran into him at a grocery store. No. And in, uh, in therapy, he's like, if I ever see you in public, I'm not going to acknowledge you. We have a relationship outside. Like, if you want to talk to me, come talk to me. This guy flags me down. No. And comes up to me. And he's like, hey, Danny, where? I haven't seen you. Because I didn't tell him. I was I just stopped scheduling appointments. <laughs> he's like, I haven't seen you. Like, like blah, blah, blah. Like, all, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, I might come back. And I get a text from like three days later. He's like, you've like, you've been dishonest to me. You've lied to me. I don't know why you stopped coming. And I like, this is one like, I, this guy has a PhD, widely respected, apparently. And one of the worst therapists that's ever walked the face of the earth. That's so bad. So I'm happy for your experience. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I was, that was a long story that had nothing to do with what you're talking about. But I just felt like I needed to just get it off my chest. Do you think that that... Do you take that experience, not that you, like, are a therapist, but, like, when you care for people or pastor people, do you, like, how, what I'm trying to say is, like, how do you, what is important to you when you're trying to be a safe person through people's deconstructions or anything? You're really good for this podcast because you just took, like, a basket of garbage and turned it into, like, you reconnected it to what (laughs) you're talking about. Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I... A couple things. Actually, going through my divorce, I realized how bad of a pastor I was. Like, mm. it was like I was giving people really weak sauce answers about really heavy mm. topics. And so now, like, for me, as I'm walking with people, whether it's deconstruction or any hard life experience, like, I come in with very few prescriptions and answers, and I just listen. Um, I remember the first time I was by the bed of someone dying in a mm. hospital. And I, like, I was prepping in my car, just so anxious. Like, what scriptures am I going to read? What answers am I going to – how am I going to comfort them? And I came in and like, we just like held hands and said the Lord's prayer. And just like, we sat and talked a little bit and like, Mm -hmm. and then that person like days later died. And, but like, that's what they wanted and needed. And it's what their family needed. And it was creating space for them just to be seen and feel known. And like, I, cause that kind of stuff, I think like pastoring type stuff, like Uh pastoral, like stuff like sucks the life out of me. Like very, doesn't give me energy. It's really hard for me. But I found a lot of freedom and more energy that I'm provided as I, like, just sit with people and let the Holy Spirit fill the room rather than me be like, hey, I'm going to tell you what you need to know. I'm so sorry. That is a very good answer. I am imagining you going into a hospital room with a switchblade just going like this. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so I think you're about to die. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm like, but how? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's wild to think about that guy having a medical license. Or do they have medical license? Therapy license? Whatever. Some but, like, license. the fact, like, think I can't be the only one that that happened to 
Maybe it just felt really safe with you. Yeah. Oof. Woof. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the cost of deconstruction. Yeah. If we had, like, sponsors, this would have been a good time for a sponsor break. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, back to the cost, though, right? So let's talk about that for a second. Like, we've talked about the cost of mm-hmm. deconstructing, a little bit of the cost of maybe not deconstructing. But as you, like, are continuing down this journey and you're, like, step-by-step, day-by-day, like, in you think about counting the cost? Like, mm. how do you feel about it? Like, are you like, man, I feel like I'm spiritually bankrupt? Are you, like, are you actually getting a return on investment? Like, where do you feel like you are on that? I'm digging the analogies. That yes. is great. Thank you. I'm trying to keep up Spiritually with you. bankrupt? Wow. Sorry. <laughs> I just need a second to that was great. Um, I would say that, yeah, it, it has for sure felt worth it to me. There's a point in which, um, there's a point in which, like, you, <laughs> you look like you're so in trouble. Yeah, I know. I'm so sorry. You guys can only see Dustin's face right now. <laughs> he gave you such a stern, like, are you yeah. serious? But, um... There's a point in which, like, when you're, like, how I was saying, you know, like, tearing everything apart in my room, trying to pick what I don't want anymore. There's a point in which that that is not fun. I'm like, I don't think this is worth it because there feels, like, so much ahead of me. And I feel like I just lost everything and there's no gain. But I think when I put my room back together that I'll be like, oh, my gosh, this feels freer and not stuff that's, like, weighing me down. I'm just going to say the analogy that's coming to my head. Okay. It's like, <laughs> I think deconstruction has a continued cost, kind of like Netflix. <laughs> like a subscription. <laughs> I subscribe to deconstruction today. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> but, but what I mean by that is like, <laughs> even though. I'm excited to ride the Even though Netflix now. keeps like upping their price. Yeah. There's enough stuff on Netflix that I found really valuable that the cost is continuing to be worth it to me. Mm. Even though the cost is not a one-time cost, it's not like I spent $100 and I have Netflix for life. I It's a subscription. Deconstruction is a subscription model. Um, <laughs> can we get t-shirts that say that? But, um, yes. <laughs> um, subscribe to Deconstruction today. Yeah. And then it's like a little arrow. Um, okay, so all that to say, it continues to have value for me, so I continue to pay the cost. Yeah. And that, that is how I feel about deconstruction. It continues to be a way that I feel more connected to God and feel more connected to myself. And I feel like God and I have a relationship now that I can actually be a part of. That's kind of an abstract thing to say. Yeah, well, why wouldn't you have been able to be a part of the relationship before? Because I didn't really like him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, even when you were... That de- was kind of intense to say. Like, Dustin you- looked at me like I'm a heretic. <laughs> but, um- <laughs> so even when you were in that circle, you were like, you still didn't really like that God. You just knew that God. But you didn't like I him. thought it didn't matter. I thought... I Like, I saw this quote and it was like, it doesn't really matter if you like God or not. He has a universe and you don't. And I was like, damn, that is it. Yeah, like, that okay. was my relationship to God. And so to say now, yeah, that's so sad. I Yeah, it's, I mean, it's highly problematic in the sense that, like, if you knew someone that was in a relationship like that, where, like, well, I don't like the person I'm, like, 
the it's a manipulative i don't really like the person but i'm there with them for the x y or z reason you'd be like get out of that but imagine if instead you said i don't really like this person and you said well you're kind of fully bad so you're probably wrong that yeah. you don't like them that yeah. that was my relationship with god mm. that that makes me really bummed out i'm so sorry <laughs> but like um it's not that way anymore yeah and so to say the new relationship i found with god is one that says and also i was like who cares if i like him he doesn't really like me shoot yeah, there was no like in the relationship there was no there was for none. it was a lot of duty yeah and a, and a lot of like just just being like i can't believe we're stuck together i'm so sorry are you laughing at duty no i have my microphone oh yeah. <laughs> Well, then I made it weird. But, um, um, but so that is incredibly worth the cost to mm. have a relationship, a healthy, like non-toxic relationship with God. Yeah. That's good. Did you always feel like you liked God? Like, am I? <laughs> yeah. No, that's, I mean, I think it's a really interesting question. And. I would say yes, but I also like <laughs> so, Danny's so cool. He always like God. I'm totally kidding. Um, but I think that part of my relationship with God has been less. Like I don't ever think I was like God looks at me like I'm a piece of garbage. Wow. Like I'm not. I wasn't. Be nice. I wasn't forky, right? Like the piece of garbage that was thrown away. Like, <laughs> <That's exactly laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> deep cut toy story for uh but yeah i don't like i don't know that i ever felt like that and also i i never had answers but like when tragedies would happen around the world like i remember like when something like a hurricane katrina would happen or like those things people were like why would god do that to people i was never like i don't think god did that to people right and so like when i saw things around i didn't see god as like this kid with a magnifying glass burning the ants i didn't see god as the person was like you suck i suck we all suck but we're like we're bonded together right mm. i was like if i am created in the image of god and i am inherently lovable like god should be lovable and there should be like a pretty joyful relationship between us even if i didn't fully i've like i've actually never thought about the idea that god like what you're saying right now has almost never crossed my mind so that i'm like verbally processing yeah. years of emotions uh but yeah i don't know i've always found god quite pleasant that's lovely <laughs> i like there's a john piper quote that he says um even though there's still some remnant of beauty and humanity you, we are so defaced and so debased that god finds the idea of a relationship with us like so unpleasing and i saw that and i was like yeah that's what i thought mm. that god relates to me out of duty like yeah just the like you know i feel like this is gonna be a mean thing that i'm about to say Drop you know it. sometimes in like youth group when there was that one annoying kid but everyone was like you gotta be nice to him because we're we're in a church that i felt like i was that kid with god yeah I can't think of that kid in my youth group, but that's probably because I was that kid. <laughs> or just because I'm a jerk. No. no, I think that's like, it is interesting to think about like God only loving us or relating to us out of an obligation, not out of a deep desire. Yeah, that's what I totally thought. Hmm. Also, I know this is going long, but I have one more thought that I want to bring up. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. We've talked a lot about my deconstruction from like a very fundamentalist 
reformed background to more progressive Christianity. However, I've also spoken to people that have deconstructed the reverse. Yeah. How do you think that, like, thinking about people growing up in progressive Christianity and feeling like it doesn't offer a structure, and so they actually go into fundamentalism? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple spider legs out of what you're saying, but I think, like, A... I think you can deconstruct either direction. I like agree. this idea that you're deconstructing to the correct mm. in the final mm. is not like that's not what you're doing. And like the idea that a progressive Christian is somehow right or comp- like we found the the truth would be completely off base. And so I think there is like we just we vacillate and we swing the pendulum so far back and forth. And like right now, what I would say like my faith and where I'm at as a pretty progressive Christian is an overcorrection from what I've seen be incorrect. And I'm hoping that I swing the pendulum back to find something in the middle that Mm. really brings like glory to both sides and the right that they both bring to the table. But yeah, I think like I oftentimes mourn the loss of certainty. We've talked about that before and the things that are more, fundamentalist or evangelical space will provide you. And I think if you grew up in a world, I know people that grew up in really, really hyper progressive. Jesus was kind of just a cool dude that hung around and um, like, you can kind of do what you want to blah, blah, all those things that are on the more progressive. Like they're like, well, I don't want that. Like I want yeah. to know what I'm pursuing and I want to be able to see how I'm doing in that. And I can totally see why someone would go that direction. Mm. And I think there's something really compelling about going that direction. And so, and I bet you people that are engaging with this conversation with us, like, are probably on both sides of it. I imagine there's more fundamentalist to progressive, mm. but to say that it's a one-way street would be completely wrong and not do justice to the conversation of deconstruction. I love that that God is like, I mean, God is everywhere, but we're all we're all unlearning the parts of the way we grew up that needed to be unlearned for the sake of like knowing God more fully yeah, and seeing more beauty. Yeah. And I would say there is like a temptation to the, cause I'm like, Hey, like there's a lot of gray, right? Like yeah. I say, like I say things are not black and white, but what I watch a lot of people that say there's a lot of gray in, they're also really black and white. They're like, my gray is the only right one. Ew. And so it's like, I think we, if we're going to occupy the space of like, we're not needing ultimate certainty on everything. We actually have to, we have to actually mean that. Gosh, darn it. And I see myself a lot, like I'll die on hills that I'm like, oh, I, I'm not, I said I wasn't dying on it. And like, you have to create that space or just be genuine to you or just be like, I'm not there. I don't believe in gray. I've gone fully this way. I'm black and white. And I've decided just on own this it. side. <laughs> yeah, just own it. Like the, we think about reasons 70% of people don't want to go to church. That's religion, not religious and non-religious. It's because of the hypocrisy of being like, well, these people are wrong and I want to create the space, but then you do create all the sins of them on the other side. You just like label yourself a progressive or conservative, right? Like you've just become the flip side of the coin of the thing that you despised. And I think that's the reason people don't go to church. It's not because the story of Jesus isn't compelling. It's not because our church's music isn't cool. It's because of the hypocrisy of the leaders and the people inside the building has very little to do with Jesus. And I think people are deconstructing us more than they're deconstructing Jesus. And like, I don't know if this is true about your story, but you're deconstructing what you've been told about God, not who God is. A hundred percent. But, uh, but in the beginning, you feel like that's what you're doing. Yeah. 
And then I think what happens is when you say, I'm deconstructing what I've been told about God, you go on this long rabbit trail of like, well, what else has I been told? Yeah. And that is, to me, the journey of deconstruction on, on whatever side that you're coming from. Yeah. Season one. Complete. Wrapped up. We've gone through a journey. We have. I think even us recording these, I feel like we've like I've we've gone through an interesting journey. Like I've had a lot of interesting thoughts, conversations with you, with my wife, out of the conversations we've had here, mm-hmm. um, in my study, prayer life, all that. Like I feel like there's been mm-hmm. a lot of really cool fruit out of this. But you're sending people out into the world. What's your encouragement? What's your prayer for them? Maybe. What's your prayer for yourself? I guess as we go out of this. My prayer is that, okay, this is a takeaway from this episode. Can we start with that? I think so. Okay. We're in charge. Yeah. <laughs> I'm asking your permission. Yeah. <laughs> um, takeaway from this episode is I really think that we need to be honest about the fact that grief is intertwined with deconstruction in so many ways. Mm. Like I, I had to ask some professors two semesters ago for like some extensions on assignments and I felt so dumb being like, I'm having a faith crisis and I literally feel like it's all I think about and I actually don't have like the capacity. And it was so, my professors were so adorable. They were like, who doesn't go through a faith crisis? Take your time. And I was like, yeah, go to Mizzou. It's fun. But, um, (laughs) but in general, I think my prayer for myself and others as we continue on this journey is, um, that we would know that this is pursuit of God. And that would be that it's, oh, God isn't scared of your deconstruction. Yeah. But I guess if I can, like, flip it back to you, like, I don't know if you would consider yourself, like, currently deconstructing. So what has, like, what have you gotten out of this conversation? Or what do you hope? Maybe pastors or, like? Yeah. No, that's a good question. Like, I think if if no one listened to this, Mm. but I was able to have a conversation with you and help you go through this, I think that's the Mm. journey. Right. And as a pastor, my biggest goal is to point people to the power of the person of Jesus. And I think that starts on a relational level. And I think what we're trying to do is have a conversation that invites people into that space Mm. in a relational way. But my encouragement to like other pastors and leaders is like, take the time to have the conversation and don't be afraid of it. Like, mm-hmm. I think you, there has been plenty of times that you could have and often have like not always agreed with where I'm at. And like my goal is to not win you to a side or convince you of an argument, but to walk alongside you in this. And I think as pastors, sometimes we've lost that. Like we think our job is to preach really cool sermons that actually no one's probably listening to or like (laughs) build really big churches and get butts and seats and dollars in the offering plate. But we're in the people business and the relationship business to point Mm. people closer to Jesus. And I think that's my encouragement, like talk to someone in the same way, like my theology is inclusive of LGBTQ people that began to transform as I talked to people and met people and built relationships around that. It wasn't a mental exercise. And so going through like a deconstruction process as I theologically relate to that, and that's partially just how God has wired me to work. It mm. begins with relationship. Um, so have conversations, build relationships. Like, Don't be afraid to enter into that space because I think it's a holy space. And not only have you entered into the conversation with me, but you've like, you've in a sense, like elevated my voice. Like we weren't, you're not just talking secretly with me about this and being like, 
don't tell anyone. Yeah. You're like, let's start a podcast and you can preach at the church. Like, I think the point is also, I hope the point of this podcast is not only have conversations like this, but like even someone like me who is still wrestling with a lot of things, that doesn't mean that, that I need to do that in secret yeah. or not be heard. And that's the thing I really value that you've brought into my deconstruction. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I think sometimes we think leading is leading from the front, mm. but like leaders, the best leaders lead from the back and they pursue and spur people on and they elevate people. And I think that's what, and I don't think I'm the best leader, but I think that's one of the people that have helped me grow in my faith, put me in places that didn't just hit home runs, mm. but I struck out so I could learn more about what I was doing. And I think, um, and I've seen a lot of like gatekeeping. And I think I see that within the conversation of this, like we're trying to hold people away and close the gate. And I think opening that up and allowing people to have the conversation is as a leader, one of the most fruitful thing you can do for the people in your congregation or the friends that you have. Um, like creating safe space, the number of people I have that are unchurched and will probably never come to my church, but have had really cool faith conversations with, like I've had more of those with people that have no interest in the church, but just know me as a friend. Mm. Um, and now I'm a pastor now, but they knew I was a normal person first. And so now I feel comfortable having those conversations with me. And so I think building those real friendships helps out too. I love that. And when you say normal person, I think you just mean an a, a curious person and not a. Yeah. You're, um, I'm right. You're wrong. I'd love to tell you. Yeah. Well, when I, yeah, you're right. Cause when I say normal person, I mean, I'm a not, I'm not going to tell you you're going to hell and you're wrong and try to win you over i just want to like, be your friend <laughs> which is not a given when speaking to pastors yeah and not always given for me i was a jerk for a while like i, <laughs> I wanted to win people over for a while so mm. Mm. all right well i think this was an awesome season one any final thoughts i'm ready to do it again ready to do it again you all ask right. me every time for have final thoughts and i haven't had one yet <laughs> <laughs> i just don't want to like shut down yeah i'm trying to be curious danny gosh mm. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening and embrace the journey.